0: where I was very interested in, obviously, this idea of using art for social change. That's been my, uh, my bag, I suppose, for quite a number of years now, and my, my main focus of interest.
1: Welcome to Warfare of Art and Law, the podcast that focuses on how justice does or doesn't play out when art and law overlap. Hi, everyone. It's Stephanie. And that was Alistair Hudson director of the Whitworth and Manchester Galleries, who goes on to discuss the reclaiming of art as an operating system for our living conditions. With examples like the Decentralizing Political economies research platform and Economics, the Blockbusters exhibition. We also discuss the NFT for William Blake's The Ancient of Days and Suzanne Lacey's current project hosted at the Whitworth. Alistair Hudson, welcome to Warfare of Art and Law. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Would you describe, uh, to start with, the mission of the Whitworth and Manchester galleries and how it's evolved from the beginning until now with you as their director?
0: Sure. I mean, it's probably best if I pick it up when I started the role um, about four years ago. And I was conscious that both the Whitworth. And Manchester Art Gallery had their foundations in the 19th century as Manchester industrialised and modernised and became a kind of global superpower that they realised also amongst that 19th century industrialising world of mills and chimneys and merchants that they needed to look after their workforce and they needed to look after their residents. So um, whilst it was a very kind of... um, very um, difficult time for many people in terms of rapidly changing society and um, and true modernisation. Um, it was also a time of kind of great social thinking, I think, in certain intellectual classes in, in, in the UK. And so these, these two galleries in Manchester were formed very much on a social educational platform. These weren't art museums to be made um, as tourist attractions. These were museums that were created to improve the social conditions, to improve the health and quality of life of workers and residents, to provide education in, a, in an instrumental way, which was about creating a more um, skilled and um, smarter workforce in the textile industries. Um, but at the same time, there was a, this idea of to make a sort of healthy mind, body, and spirit for everybody in the face of you know the black sort of the chimneys and everything Marx and Engels were criticising at the time. Um, So what I was interested in doing was picking up that original founding um, set of principles and adapting it now with um, certainly the networks I've been involved in for many years and uh, the contemporary context. Um, So it was about really reasserting the social value of these two major museums and their collections um, and essentially really pushing that idea of using art for social change art is not for and of itself but art is there as a process to be deployed within society to improve conditions um that so that's that's the basis of the the mission and vision for both that i've created together they have slightly different um takes on that because of their organizational structure and their histories but um that, that's the basis of it yeah
1: if you can just give an overview of how are they uh, different from one another?
0: Oh, well, Manchester Manchester Art Gallery um, is older, founded in eighteen twenty three. As the Royal Manchester Institution um, is in the city centre, it has columns. It was designed by Charles Barry, who designed the um, was the architect for the um, Palace of Westminster, Houses of Parliament in London. Um, so it, it is in the kind of the, the well, it's it, it's an, in a Greco Roman style. <laughs> Um, and uh, it is part of the city. It is it is run and owned by Manchester City Council, and the collection is is owned by all the residents of the city. It's a very interesting governance structure. So it is very, very much a public institution that is of and for mm-hmm. the people, whereas the Whitworth is part of the University of Manchester, so therefore it sits within an academic context, um, and it is not in the city centre. It's interestingly... Um, to the south of the main city centre, where the kind of at the point where the university finishes and the very uh, complex neighbourhoods of Mossside, Fallowfield, Rush Home um, uh, begin. And so it, basically the gallery sits at this intersection of um, kind of city intellectual life, research and teaching, and um, these these very complicated histories of migration, um uh, uh social inequality and all, everything that goes with your classic um yeah post-war industrial um uh, uh yeah kind of um na- neighborhoods with all the challenges that that involves so it's a very, it's a very interesting geographic location um but it also means that the gallery comes with a park as well it's a gallery sat in a in, in a park and that's part of what we do as well the park is very was created as part of the Whitworth as part of that healthy mind body and spirit agenda um, so it has that has a slightly different makeup you might say that in a way the program at the Whitworth is maybe slightly more intellectual um, um, they're both rigor- rigorously conceptual in the way that I've devised them um, but the the Manchester Art Gallery is very much uh, talking to a different, slightly different constituencies um, than, than the Whitworth, which is very much embedded in neighbourhoods and embedded in university life and all those different departments of um, you know, trying to solve the, the problems of the world, whereas um, Manchester Art Gallery is is kind of part is part of the operations of the council and delivering a civic agenda, which is about making uh, and working for the residents of the city in a very direct way.
1: I recently heard you talking about uh, a pub as art center that you were working with and using as a model for the Platte Hall. Uh, redevelopment. Would you describe a bit about that? Both the Platte Hall and how the pub is a model for it?
0: Yeah, so Platte Hall is another I have too many buildings. There's another building
1: um
0: further further south of Whitworth, about about a mile south of the Whitworth, really embedded in those um those those neighbourhoods I described. Um and um it was um until I started it was the it was the gallery of costume and dress as a very large, um, significant national collection of clothing, like everyday clothing on the whole, but going back to, you know, 16th century, right up to 1970s band T-shirts and 80s track. And, but it wasn't very well visited. And it so happened when I started, it just had a very severe moth problem, which is not a good thing for a, a textile based collection, but it was all sorted out. But it meant that in that conservation, the collection was kind of too big to fit in that building. Which is a very beautiful Georgian mansion in a park, um, but but uh, I mean, interestingly, basically uh, one with uh, it's it's like a lot of things in Manchester with its slavery connections. Um, so a very kind of complicated animal sitting amongst all these very complicated neighbourhoods. Um, but really, what it, what I wanted to do was was to no longer have a, a a museum dedicated to costume and dress and integrate that into the main. Uh, collection displays and functions of the City Centre Art Gallery, and liberate Platt Hall to be something else. And the idea really is a, is about a centre of activity and social development, specifically for those neighbourhoods around it, that uses art, that uses art tactics and competencies and the collections, but in ways which are socially beneficial to the to the residents and neighbourhood neighbourhoods around it. Um, in a way it it, I kind of imagine it in in a way as as a sort of um, uh, 21st century update on part of our history which is also the the, the kind of the settlement movement from the around the 1880s so we had in our portfolio of museums in the city Thomas Horse Falls and Coates Art Museum that was a museum amongst the slums and mills to provide kind of nature education and aesthetic education and ways of living, um, improved ways of living um, using art then. And they were in correspondence with Toynbee Hall in London, if you know Toynbee Hall, and Hull House in Chicago. It's kind of an international network of like-minded people who were trying to use artistic techniques to improve um, uh, living and working conditions, uh, particularly amongst migrant neighbourhoods. Um, So it's really kind of taking that model and updating it and thinking about, well, if you go beyond what I call the exhibitionary era, if we think about, you know, going beyond the the kind of 200 year history of art, which is embedded in uh, kind of capital and spectatorship and, um, um, you know, visitor economies and tourism, and you actually start to really try and embed art within society systems and economies, then what other models could be formed, and so the idea was that Platt, we could really test this with a with, with a with a building that wasn't specifically designed as an art gallery, and think about different ways this large Georgian mansion could work, but in a way, kind of grassroots, ground up way. So we haven't got a plan for what it is, but what we started doing is opening up the building for conversations with neighbourhood groups, with individuals, with um, potential users. About what this building might be. And through those conversations and deep listening, construct a model for a museum that is driven from those people around it rather than from, you know, people like me necessarily or, you know, the, the, a kind of uh, top down agenda.
1: And your work with the pub was that uh, as an observer or was it you were instrumental in how it was being developed? So the
0: pub, yeah, yes, so the pub is a slightly different project, which is. Um, in, a, in an organization i used to work in in the lake district in the rural mountainous um part of the country um in, in in the northwest called cumbria and it's home home of kind of romantic idealism and wordsworth and coleridge and so on um and that was a, it was an organization i worked with for 10 years but when i left i i remained on the board and have done ever since and that was really again where i you know kind of Cut my teeth in this kind of other in these other ideas of what art could be and this idea of making art useful and it recently became that was a situation where a local a very old like thousand year old it coaching inn had been had closed down, but the village wanted to keep it open, and we were approached if we could help and <clears throat> as a as a charity and we basically crowd funded amongst uh, the 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 people living in the village the funds to buy the pub so it could be run as a, essentially a community enterprise but the pub is essentially also an art center and a pub combined um so that it has workshops it has it does projects where the food everything is in a way is art in the pub but you wouldn't know it you'd just think it's a rather quaint english um, pub if you just stumbled upon it but slightly weird because things are designed by artists and local people but basically all the, the plates the cups the tables the furniture everything is made by people including the food and the food all comes from the field across the road or the lake down you know down down the lane um so it's very much a kind of um uh, total total work of art taking the form of a of a pub that's used by people in everyday life
1: Would these uh, spaces be considered what I've heard you describe as Museum 3.0?
0: Yes, they're they're all versions of that, I would say, everything I've described. And um, the kind of version of Museum 3.0 I I sort of talk about is, um, in a way, is part of this evolution of museums. So you might say Museum 1.0 is where people go into the museum, they see a beautiful object and somehow they're transformed with that experience and go away, you know, happy and educated or whatever it is. Um, 2.0 is the sort of 20th century, late 20th century version, where basically this idea of participation and engagement was developed by museums where people come and they take part in projects, in perhaps co-production of things, but... Essentially, the general philosophy, idea, concept is driven still by um the, the kind of um the people in power, the people the people who are in control. So 3.0 is much kind of more the user-generated um version of a museum. Basically, the, the what you try to do is shape and design the um the way a museum or an art gallery or an art institution works by the combination of all its different user groups and its, in its different networks. And people, basically, how they use that entity is primarily directed at their benefit. Often in sort of the 2.0 model, the participation is still about reinforcing the cultural capital of the institution. Of course, that still goes on a little bit because that's part of the dynamics of the economy we're in and we're inhabiting at the moment. But it's about this shift and this bending of uh, the benefits of art and the benefits of art institutions more in the interests of its constituent groups um, and its neighbours and its communities or however you want to describe it, rather than the art world per se.
1: What is the overlap? It seems like a, an entire universe that overlaps with the work that you've just described and your work with Arta Util and the Decentralizing Political Economies Research Platform. Can you describe how those complement one another and your work with them?
0: Sure. I mean, Arta Util is, is, is probably something that started a long time ago, about twenty. 2012 began working with Tanya Bagheera on that and um, that really came about to we'd been at at Graistel Arts which is this um, organization I worked at in the in in a rural environment we'd already been developing this idea of um, uh, art being useful as a kind of slightly knowing uh, rebellious act against you know kind of the autonomous art world that we know so well um, and that led to an introduction of kind of what I would call fellow travelers in the world, including colleagues at the Van Abbey Museum in Eindhoven, Queens Museum, New York, but also artists like Tania Bruguera, um, that, uh, uh, you know, from working out of Cuba. And uh, she she, yeah, she coined this term arte um, útil, which is using art as a tool, um, which is a sort of better translation. Um, and we collaborated and combined and formed this Quasi movement, I suppose, and as and an online platform, and um, there are kind of pedagogical um, projects that we've done. There's an online, growing online archive, um, all, all sorts of things, um, um, publications, books um, that are kind of growing in, in kind of spontaneous ways now with other people around the world. But the idea is, I suppose. That, that's kind of like the, the operating system or the or the philosophy that underpins a lot of this work, that you can kind of use that work in itself as a tool to develop the ideas in practice in in the world. So, for example, at Whitworth, we now have um, the office of Arte Util, um, one of many offices that we've made <laughs> over the years. And, and now that's kind of like the brain of the Witworth. Uh, it's also my office and where I work, and uh, where public meetings happen. And people can just come and hang out, have a cup of tea, um, but they can also interface with the archive and get inspiration for how they might pick up these projects and transform them in other ways, or employ them or deploy them in the places where they live. Um, so yeah, that I, it kind of uh, art material kind of operates in and through um, th- these projects and these institutions. But I suppose originally the idea of art util was it was wasn't necessarily institutional it was about uh projects that had been developed by artists or art like workers around the world with people to make basic to to use arts tactics to change the world um in more favorable ways often in kind of quite um kind of um you, you know kind of resilient or or um um kind of revolutionary ways in some way quite disruptive in some ways um but i my my thought along the line was well actually you could apply these same principles to an institution you could expand and grow them up and and i I suppose you could say what i've done since grisdale and through the work in middlesbrough um now here in manchester is kind of ever expanding these ideas in larger scales, in larger, in, 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 in kind of across larger cities, um, and, and kind of building an international network where this starts to have a real impact on the on the wider, so you know, kind of economies and um, ecologies of, of the of the world.
1: One example of the uh, Arte Util projects uh, that struck me was Illegal. And it references legal loopholes that were used. And I was wondering if you could just elaborate slightly on what it was involved with that. And if you think that's a good example of what you're discussing.
0: Yeah, I mean, the nice thing is, I mean, if, if you go to the archive, and you know, I'd encourage people to go to just kind of Google Arte Util um, and uh, maybe put the link somewhere. Um, the, the archive, there are a lot of different categories. There are economic, political, um, um, educational, um, but then, also when we did the original exhibition at Van Abbey Museum in 2012, 13, um, we had this, they had this section on Aligal, which is kind of yeah these projects which operate in, in, in kind of, yeah in these legal loopholes in the system and I suppose the the poster child artist of that idea you could say is the, is an artist called Nuria Guel um, who 's done a number of projects that kind of exemplify this rather beautifully. Um, One I remember was, which is um, there's one called Degenerate Art Protocol, where basically uh, she she establishes a um, a, 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 an offshore um, bank account in a in a Panama tax haven, um, and then basically hands that over to um, to an activist group in Spain who can then use all they can then use all those loopholes and um kind of legal gray areas that is afforded of the super rich but um they as a kind of you know kind of not anti-capitalist um kind of outsider group can also benefit from all those privileges normally afforded to the 1% or it probably even the 0.01% in the case of Panama um so yeah that's a good example or she, there was a nice one where she did where um there was a tower block in Spain that was unoccupied. Um, again, a lot of kind of, and, and obviously, you know, housing situation like many places in in, in the world now, a completely dysfunctional housing system um, where um, people were not un- unable to occupy buildings that were empty and completely, you know, because they'd been um, basically stripped out by property speculation, I guess. Um, but they basically discovered another loophole that if a building has no doors, you can legally occupy it. So they took all the doors off the building, and then were able to occupy the building as a Yeah. So you know, some of these things are quite simple and practical, and that's I think for me that's for me that's one of the defining characteristics of art at util is that you don't need a PhD in art or art history to understand these projects. They are understood by their use value to the people who are um, employing them. Like, and they're actually all, you know, of the hundreds and case studies that are in the RTTL archive, they're all just really good human stories of people beating the system or people finding another way to do things or to imagine the world in a different way that could be, infect, you know, the wider operating systems that we have as well. So they're kind of super hyper local projects that have potentially universal application.
1: Then, the usefulness of art that's being employed with the DPE research platform, would you give an overview of that and the the spinoff I think, or development of the economics, the blockbuster exhibition that's coming up?
0: Yeah, sure. I mean it's slightly the other way around is that um, when, when the first exhibition proper that was under my watch at Whitworth when I started was uh, um, we did an exhibition called Joy Forever. Um, which was taken from John Ruskin's lecture on political economy that he delivered in Manchester in 1857, where basically he berates the industrious and merchants of Manchester. um, A lecture spread out over two days, um, three hours each, um, about how basically they've totally misunderstood how the world works. Um, It's not about making money. It's about actually making, uh, you know, economy is about making the right conditions for living in favor of, you know, of of people, um, rather than kind of accumulating wealth. That's the kind of general synopsis of it, and, and this and the same applies to art. And um, this 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 uh, this lecture, be, you know, became his book *Unto This Last*, which also became incredibly influential. The foundation of the Labour Party manifesto, for example, or you know, the book that inspired Gandhi for many of his propositions in post-colonial India. Um, so, really, this was about in a way this is set, me setting my stall out to say actually, the interplay between art and economy is actually really fundamental to the way we develop society, that we have to change our understanding of art from being this set of things in the world we describe as art, you know, and sits in museums or on our walls. To understand art as a process which is about how, in, how, to, how to see the world truthfully and then act ethically in it. It is about doing processes with care and consideration that's my definition of art is to do something with care and consideration you know you could consider cooking or gardening or politics or warfare even as an art. so I want to really recapture this this idea of the process we apply to make things better and um, this really developed from this original show always with the idea that we could do something, a significant statement around this idea further down the line once we'd, um, you know, kind of developed our, uh, you know, the content. Um, So I I basically wanted to uh, do in a fairly tongue-in-cheek way an exhibition called Economics, the Blockbuster, which is the most blockbuster, unfriendly exhibition subject matter you could imagine. In fact, I think the Hayward Gallery in London did an exhibition about economics in the 60s, and it's on record as their least visited exhibition ever. But I. I think now, for me, it is the big question of our times i, I when i 'm I'm running an art gallery, I like to deal with things that are relevant and the big issues of our times and there 's no other one more pertinent i think than, than economy and about reclaiming it as the operating system for our living conditions. Good housekeeping, as it was called in Ruskin's time, um, rather than you know the fiscal systems that we um, we 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 think of it to be um, in our present moment. So it was about reclaiming the economy to work for the people, and there were lots of obviously lots of interesting art projects, and ways of doing this that have been developed in kind of art-like spaces and art-like worlds, if not artists themselves. So really, the, the idea was to make this exhibition in twenty twenty three, but that idea itself was also part of the the, the kind of um, proposition that in in the manner of how economics or finances work now is you you basically develop a story and then you work out the content later. You know it's a bit like uh, you know Apple or uh, you know Meta or you know all these all these companies essentially that they're a storyline and an idea in which you can attack attach any kind of product or service or Um, content then within that so the idea was to just make name the show without knowing what was going to be in it and then develop the processes and projects that would then fuel that including like how we funded the show would also become part of the project Um, so as part of that we developed this research strand called decentralizing political economy um which is conversations um um, um, uh, kind of developmental uh, um, art projects, um, which is all kind of recorded online on the dpe.tools website. And that becomes, in a way, the uh, yeah, our kind of our working out of what the economics project will be as we go along.
1: The funding that you mentioned, would that dovetail with the idea for the NFT of William Blake's Ancient of Days, or was that developed um, separately?
0: Um, It it was well, kind of both really. I mean, as we were developing the economics project, it so happened that this phenomenon of NFTs appeared in the world, you know, within this timeline. And I thought, well, you know, this is a very interesting development, um, this is this is a kind of facet of the art world or another art world that is you can't ignore now. This is this is this is really the total synthesis of 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 money and art, <clears throat> which is kind of like the logical conclusion of everything that's gone before it, and obviously encapsulates this you know these new decentralized economic systems that are now going to really radically change. Banking systems, the um, financial systems, and actually the way we work in the world. So, I, and you know, I'm always one to say, well, we, you, you have to get in and get stuck in and get your hands dirty, and actually learn through doing and making, um, in order to really understand these things, rather than just sitting on the sidelines, commenting. Um, so I said, well, let's make an NFT. So um, we 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 basically made uh, an NFT out of um, uh, a work in our collection here at the Whitworth, William Blake's Ancient of Days, which in itself is a kind of multiple. It's a print, hand-tinted print by William Blake um, from, uh, yeah, kind of late 18th century. And uh, we made an edition of 50 um, for sale uh, on the Tezos platform so that we used proof of... Stake rather than proof of work, and therefore it was the kind of gre- greener version of the NFT world. Which, you know, when we when we launched it, was yeah, kind of against the trend, but we couldn't bring ourselves to to, to go with the kind of um, you know the, the extremities of the you know kind of um, proof, proof of proof of work platforms. Um, so so that kind of has, has been launched. But the the idea also is that it's what I call a Robin Hood NFT. <clears throat> so all the proceeds. The money we make from that from the sales of the NFT will be directed into social projects, um, working with partners with our neighborhoods in and around the gallery, rather than um, kind of just recirculating this into, into kind of private capital. So it's really about taking that crazy wild west world of NFTs and redirecting the capital involved in that into social projects that are for social capital. <clears throat> Um, So, yeah, that's kind of just begun, really. We've already made quite a few sales and got some money in the bank that we're going to allocate to some youth projects initially. Um, um, And uh, uh, I think it was just also profiled at uh, Art Basel, Miami Beach on the Tezos stand as well. So we'll see what comes out of that. But, yeah, essentially the the idea is, is that all whatever happens with the NFT... Well, then the story of that will then be told in the Economics the Blockbuster Exhibition in 2020. Whether it completely crashes, the world is imploded by, you know, by cryptocurrencies, um, whether we make 6 million or we make 6 pounds, um, all, all that will be documented. And we also made an NFT, a tracker NFT, which is an NFT of the, basically of the, of the financial, tracking the financial, um, um um income and expenditure etc of the of the of the project
1: how has the feedback uh so far to the nft then
0: yeah i mean it's been it's been great so far it's been really i think the fact that you know obviously you know in in the world of economies and the world of needing to have a story the story of this being like this the kind of like this 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 the social good nft that's um redirecting capital in this way is is part of its success i would say that it makes it slightly more bulletproof <laughs> in terms in terms of ethics, and that but that's done on principle as well. That's not done for fun. I mean, you know, it's because I think actually that's that's the kind of thing I want to do. Um, but uh, yeah, we've made some money. I think we've got uh, we've we've taken so far about uh, 20, 26000 dollars or so, and that's going to go. As like I said, it's going to yeah going go to going to projects here with the communities around us which is which is great
1: one of the other artists that I've seen involved with uh this platform is Suzanne Lacey can you give an overview of what her work is and and how it's being used for uh this these projects that you've been talking about
0: yeah I mean well I mean that's it's it's very directly connected in a way um so Suzanne's show opened um last and it's a it started out as an idea of doing a retrospective of her work. You know, she's, she's what I call the grand dame of social practice who's been operating, you know, initially out of the US in the 60s and, you know, has worked over five generations, five decades, sorry, um, developing this way of working outside the art market, let's say, and working in social systems and community organisation, etc., and we we had a you know a, a long conversation with s f. Momer about how you do a Suzanne Lacey show um, and they did their version of a retrospective a few years ago, but um as part of that conversation, I was interested in how you would evolve um, an exhibition that didn't just show the material produced by Suzanne, the documentation, the photographs, the films, but actually gave you know you you paid true justice to Suzanne's work as an active project in real life, and so we we basically called the exhibition "What Kind of City?" question mark A manual for social change, and the idea is to use her work as a kind of manual for how we might deliver new projects in the city, based upon or to do with the projects we're showing. <clears throat> so, for example. Uh, a project that she did with um, um, uh, South Asian communities and um, uh, mill workers in um, the satellite mill town of Manchester, Briarfield. Um, She worked with Sufi chanters and traditional English shape note singers to combine hybrid choirs as a process of, I suppose, historic reconciliation and Community cohesion and to develop new forms of culture that work for now. And and we, we had the when we had the opening, all these choirs came. We had two coaches come down from Briarfield, They sang. The building was full of this, you know, beautiful sound. Um, there's a new uh, boys choir, a a, a a nasheed choir, which is a kind of a unique thing that's been made. And we're looking at kind of making these new working with basically our South Asian communities. Uh, uh, Islamic communities, are, of which there are many around the Witworth, um, to develop new new ways of working with them that create better opportunity, better life pathways, uh, better social cohesion in, in in the city along those lines. And so that will evolve over time. Um, we're also showing Oakland projects, which is the project she did with um, youth in Oakland in the Bay Area in the US in the nineteen nineties, trying to sort of Uh, ease the conflict between young people and the police um, and, you know, obviously intersecting with issues around racism and class and, um, you know, all kinds of inequalities. And interestingly, whilst we were developing the show, uh, a a guy who um, works with kids at Moss Side um, to get them out of gang culture contacted Suzanne in the U.S. to say, um, uh, hey, I saw you do that, you know, the Oakland projects um, in the 1990s, there any chance, you know, we could do something like that here in Manchester. And so, of course, we were able to say, well, that's great, yeah. We're actually working on something right now. So we had this amazing day where, you know, all these kids from the local kind of local neighbourhoods came on the gallery and we asked them, well, how, how can we change the city? What can we give you? How can we use Suzanne's historic project as an inspiration and a platform to make a new project or new projects in Manchester that develop basically visual literacy, emotional literacy, um, agency for you to get into the, into the roots in life you want to be in and not maintain these kind of cycles of, um, control and deprivation that, you know, that many of these, many of these, Um, young people are stuck in now Um, so that's now evolving and that in fact that's one of the projects working with two um, uh, youth organizations locally that will be will be supporting through the nft Uh, yeah and there's another project we're doing with her as well which is working with older women in the city over 50 to campaign for better working rights for women over 50 and again this is affecting especially during and after covid um, women, you know, from, you know, all the many ethnic backgrounds in the city, lower classes, you know, everything's reveals that, you know, the fissures in society and the inequalities. And so this project is basically a research project with the university that's gathering information on you know, basically women's lives in the city and will be presented as a, as a call for policy change. So basically at the end of the show, we have all these strands, including one on borders and post-Brexit, um and in end of March we will on um, in the exhibition use this as a place to convene policymakers, decision makers in the city um to 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 basically campaign and push for change in 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 decisions and how how our economies in the city work. But in a way this is a this is the idea of an exhibition as a long-term part of a long-term process, not in and of itself but as part of the work of an institution and the work of art
1: when she was discussing the uncertain futures uh project that you were just referencing with the um women over 50 she was discussing uh the need to factor in that there's a capacity for change with who you're working with and so that's a factor that i think is Would you agree is pivotal in all of these projects that you are targeting um, individuals that you believe would have that capacity to feed into the project and and incorporate it into their lives and their communities?
0: Yeah, I think. I mean, it's true. I think. I think in in my experience in, in all of these kinds of projects, ways of working over the years, is you need people with a certain amount of energy and a certain will um, to do what they're doing and I think it's also really fundamentally important that we kind of use our capacities and resources to enhance what people are already doing rather than trying to get them to do a project that you know we've thought up I mean there's a bit of you know obviously there's a bit of kind of creative direction and, and and Suzanne you know her projects come out of conversations and they're driven by a certain will on her part but in a way that what's what's important is is that they, they are beneficial to those people that are taking part in them. So for example all the women in certain futures have got a vested interest in making their lives better. They're not doing this really because they want to be part of an art project. I mean that that that's what also it it's what makes it more interesting and it what actually makes it more effective in some ways. Um, and they can, what I'm interested in is people using the museum, using the institution as a recourse to, as a, as a, as a route to power. Um, but essentially they're doing this because they want to improve their living conditions. And that's, what's driving them, not because they are, you know, long lifelong funds of Susan Lacey or you know, have got a particular interest in art, um, yeah, so I think, I think that's, that's a, it, is a, it is a fundamental thing. And that, that drive com, comes through that place of working with, working with people who are already on this road. And then hopefully you can take other people with you.
1: Yeah. Have you also encountered uh, with groups like this or anyone, perhaps a stumbling block in them seeing art as a process and understanding art in a bigger way? that it, it encapsulates uh, more than what they might have thought before?
0: I don't think so, no. I mean, obviously people have an idea of what art is, but I think what's really beautiful about the, you know, this kind of strategy is that you, you don't need to, it doesn't matter really if you know whether it's art or not. It, it, it matters that the fact that it is art and the fact that it is done in an, let's say an artistic way, makes it a, a, a richer and a more of um interesting and complex experience that makes it have more traction in the world i would say but um it doesn't really matter at that stage whether it's art or not i mean for me it's a very it's a very elegant demonstration of why art matters because it's not you're not removing it from the from the from the economies and the colleges of the world you're embedding it in those systems and then, of course, you can say, "Well, actually, that that process was art." Usually, usually, the criticism actually comes from people who've got vested interests in maintaining the art system. That's usually <laughs> what criticism comes from, rather than like, you know people who want to get involved in an art project because it you know it does it, it 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 does something for them.
1: And so, to me, all of what you've been discussing is different ways to facilitate justice. Would you agree with that? Have you thought about it in the, in those terms
0: sure yeah no, absolutely I mean obviously that you know social justice is it's a huge a huge subject area but I think it is very very much part of the you know the center of where we are with 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 cultural institutions right now um, you know the... the I'm lucky that, you know, the two institutions I'm in charge of were founded on these very same principles, that they weren't designed as, as I said, that you know, kind of tourist spectacles, they were designed as social instruments. Um, so I think, you know, absolutely justice is at the heart of this. And, and I think, you know, Tanya talks, right, um, another one of her words she coined was, um, was um, ethics, rather than aesthetics, ace ethics. Which is about the beauty of 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 ethics and of experience and behaviour that we, you know, that, that, that there is art in behaviour and there is art in 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 the way we live and work together. And I think when when those things click and when you know you have equitable relationships, there is beauty in that as well. And I think that I think museums now have a have a really interesting opportunity to to make that work because where else in life, you know, these institutions are free, they're open to the public, anyone can come into them. There aren't many spaces like that anymore. So therefore they have this amazing convening power and this amazing they're not neutral. I mean they're completely non-neutral museums, but we can bend them and shape them to work in favor of a much broader population than they have done historically, and and to kind of use their cultural power in very interesting ways.
1: There will be a link in the show notes to learn more. If you enjoyed this podcast, it would be much appreciated if you could leave a rating or review and tag Warfare of Art and Law Podcast. You can also email your comments to stephanie at warfareofartandlaw.com. Until next time... This is Stephanie Droddy bringing you Warfare of Art and Law. Thank you so much for listening, and remember, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. What are your plans for the second Saturday of this month? Perhaps consider joining in for a discussion about art, culture, and social issues. Hi, everyone. It's Stephanie. And every second Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, I host the Second Saturday Art and Justice Gathering, an online call that explores a range of topics, from artists who might inspire to legal decisions that might infuriate, all with the aim of sparking dialogue about social justice and promoting creative thinking. If interested, please email me at stephanie at warfareofartandlaw.com dot com.